Happy New Year, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Deep Bass Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the element that makes or breaks games, the music. I'm Peter Thomas, and I'm joined by my co-host, Cody Haltom, and we're glad you joined us on our exploration of the soundtrack of Celeste. What's going on, Cody? Hey, buddy. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. We are actually recording on the first of the brand new year here. Yeah, with fireworks still booming and not being annoying at all. <laughs> That's terrible, man. It's terrible. I was just talking to you offline about this, but where I'm originally from, we did not have any kind of crazy fireworks. Like they had to be done by 10 p.m. I guess for New Year's, it would be like 1230 or 1 a.m. that day. And then yeah. that's it. You have to be done or you can have the cops called on you, that kind of thing. Welcome to hell. Yeah, no, Georgia, whole different animal. <laughs> yeah, like I told you, I mean, it didn't always used to be like this. So I think people are just making up for lost time. I'm guilty of that as well. So I can't really say anything, but not this year. I just did mine last night and that was it. So I was a good boy this time. Good. Well, I hate you a little less for it. No. <laughs> yeah, you still hate me just for other reasons. <laughs> right. So... We sat down before this episode started and we were like, well, how can we really kick off this new year, you know, with something that's fitting for us and everything. And we were on a streak there where we were pulling in guests, but I was like, you know, I want to open up the new year with just us and have a game that really does a good job with opening up the new year. We mold about it a little bit and we came across Celeste. I didn't realize how fitting this game would end up being. <laughs> yeah, this is a really, really unique game. It's probably the most deep game that we've covered on Deep Base so far. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. And that's kind of what I'm leaning into as far as this being very fitting. So for a lot of us, I know this doesn't apply to everybody, but you know, 2020 was a very tumultuous time. If you've had pre-existing depression, anxiety, anything like that, it probably spiked up pretty heavily through all the crap with COVID, the president, whatever it may be that might have bothered you that could be aggravated by this. And Celeste really covers a lot of those elements and those kinds of details throughout it. It was actually really remarkable to see. Yeah, it really was. We went through it in different ways. And we'll get to how we know this game and our experiences with it in a little bit. But 2020 was, it feels like a decade, but I know it was just a year. You know what I mean? Like it just went on so long. And just when you thought that things in the world, you know, couldn't get worse. I mean, they would find a way to, you know, from an earthquake to a wildfire to COVID, whatever it may be. This was an interesting game to really end the year with doing some of the research that I did for this, I really, really respect this game because it's a lot more than what I thought it was when I first experienced it. Yeah, I do too. I have heard a lot of things about it. Like you said, we'll definitely get into the history, but I was definitely a late bloomer picking this game up. It's been out for two years now. It's always been on the list of things to play. I just never got around to it. It was a really a good end cap for the year to play something like this and feel like after I was done with it, that it didn't feel so strange anymore that 2020 was so bad. This year was our 
Celeste mountain to climb. Yeah, it was bad news. Everyone It's not getting better anytime quickly, but there's just something refreshing. It feels like we can kind of catch our breath now that 2020 is behind us and we can just move forward with a, not a fresh start, but with more hope than the doom and gloom that was 2020. Yeah. Almost like a renewed invigorate. It's like whenever you have like a, a little plug in senti and it's kind of running out a little bit and you put in a new senti, you know, it takes a second, but then you, you get your nostrils are filled full of that glorious smelling goodness. You're obsessed with those things now. I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing that came to my mind. My room smells like, uh, you know, for those listening and, and who don't follow Twitter, I bought these little plug-in scenties from, I think it's Airwick is the brand. They're Botanica branded or something. So they're like all natural or I don't know, something like that. But the one I'm using right now is fresh pineapple and rosemary. And my room smells like a tropical island paradise right now. It is phenomenal. <laughs> There's nothing better to smell while talking about depression and climbing up a mountain. Hey, you know, it's whatever, whatever it takes to get your mind right. The other thing that's new and you may notice is that Cody got a new microphone. Oh, boy, did I. My parents, it turns out, enjoy our podcast somehow more than we do which is really saying something. So I am completely wire free. I have a new microphone, new headphones, a new laptop to help us power this baby. So there's going to be some learning on my end, some mixing and that kind of stuff. If things start sounding wonky or whatever, trust us, we're working on it. So thanks mom and dad. Yeah. Shout out to Cody's parents for hooking him up and making him sound even more, what did I say? Sultry. <laughs> <laughs> it was something that I was like, Oh, thank you. Yeah. Sultry, savory, rich. I, I don't know what you want to call it, but his voice, at least to me and hopefully in, in post-production, you guys will hear it too, but it's salacious. That's the word. <laughs> I like that word. <laughs> at some point I wanted to upgrade my tech. You know, I want to sound like you and I are in the same room together as close to that as possible anyway. And so this is one big step closer. Right. Well, I think we've got it at least pretty damn close and I'm excited for the next year. With that, let's kick off the history of Celeste and we'll move into our personal histories with it as well. Celeste is a 2018 platforming video game designed, directed, and written by Maddie Thorson and programmed by Thorson and Noel Berry. It is a fully fleshed version of the 2016 Pico 8 game of the same name, which was made in four days solely by Thorson and Berry during a game jam. Set on a fictional version of Mount Celeste, it follows a young woman named Madeline who attempts to climb the mountain and must face her inner demons like depression and anxiety in her quest to reach the summit. Celeste was released worldwide independently on January 25th, 2018. It consists of eight chapters plus a free DLC chapter titled Farewell, released on September 9th, 2019, acting as an epilogue to the main story and adding 100 new levels. The soundtrack of Celeste was composed by Lena Rain, 
and released by Materia Collective, and it was highly praised by critics. This was my first experience with her as a composer, and I gotta say, I was really, really impressed. Yeah, I was too. I don't know her work. I just assumed that it was pretty much this. But no, this was a interesting soundtrack. I do have some thoughts on some of the tracks that I put down and that kind of thing. But overall, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, this was a really great listen. And we will talk about this as we go through. But the soundtrack itself, if you're not counting the B-sides, was only 21 tracks. And then with the B-sides, I think was another eight or 10 tracks. So about 31. So I think one of the smallest soundtracks that we've covered to date. But on the flip side of that, every track was incredibly long. We'll lean more into that a little bit later, but that was something that is very unique. I don't think we've covered any games that have had seven, eight, nine minute tracks yet. Have we? No. Shoot. I mean, one of them was 11 minutes long. Right. It was an interesting take on it. I was, I looked at it and I'm like, oh God, we're going to have so much overlap because of how small the soundtrack is. But turns out that that wasn't the case at all. With that being said, let's hear about your history of Celeste. So tell me about when you first heard about it, when you started playing it, that kind of thing. Heard about it? I couldn't tell you, really. I mean, probably around the time the game came out. I mean, I'm someone who listens to gaming podcasts every day. So, I mean, I had heard about this game playing it. I didn't get it until, uh, I want to say it was last year, but I didn't play it until this year. I really don't remember. I really enjoyed the art style and I played until I got stuck in the hotel. And looking back at it, like it's really stupid that I got stuck. All I had to do was pound the ground on like this big obvious thing in the center of a room and I would have been free, but I digress. So I got stuck and my options were either to quit or start the entire level over. These levels are incredibly long and incredibly difficult to kind of navigate. So naturally, I quit. When we decided to cover this game, I decided to pick it back up. I did beat the game. However, I had to put on assist mode, which I know puts an asterisk next to, yeah, Cody beat it, but I couldn't die and I had infinite jumps. So I do get that. But the main reason why was because I want to know what the story of this game was and what it was really about, especially if you and I were going to be talking about it. Being someone that lives with depression and anxiety on a daily basis made the story of this game really hit home. When a game has built in assist mode or an easy mode or anything like that, I don't think there's any real judgment in using them. They're there for that reason, right? If you just want to experience the story, be able to talk about it with friends, family, what have you. No judgment here. I'm glad that you were able to get through it. And it was worthwhile because it was a really good game. Did you ever dabble with the assist mode? I haven't yet, but I do plan on it when I go back to pick up the collectibles and things like that. When you do, it's really interesting because you really get the vibe that, in my opinion, and I I know yours too, video games are art. So there's a way that games are meant to be experienced and games are, or this game in particular was meant to be challenging and punishing something that we're going to talk about later in terms of kind of what the game is and 
what it's about. So whenever you go into the assist mode menu, it tells you just that. It's like, hey, look, you can do this. They're not judging you. But in their opinion, in order to get the full impact of what the game was trying to achieve, that you wouldn't be able to, or it would be diminished in some way. Whenever I saw that, I was like, uh, do I want to do it this way? Yeah, I need to. I, I need to know the story. So I went ahead and I did. Having played it twice, once up until right at the halfway point in the game, the fourth level, I felt like I knew from the mechanics and everything enough. You know what I mean? Like I knew what the game was and what it was trying to be. But I will say, turning those assists on, there were many moments in this game that we're going to talk about that were completely diminished by the fact that I had used the assist mode to get there. So it's going to be interesting to talk about whenever that comes up. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. You said one of the assists were infinite jumps and this game's difficulty definitely rides on the fact that you have a limited number of jumps through it. When I finished the game, actually just today, my final death count was 1,099 on the nose. So almost 1,100 deaths. But one of the things about this game, so I've played games like this. There's another one that was on Steam. It was just called VVVVVV, just six Vs. And it was a very similar experience. You know, they intend for you to die over and over again because that's how you learn the new mechanics that they're introducing per world, per area, whatever it may be. They don't have a lot of that in this game. You only have three moves, you know, jump, climb, and your little air dash. That's really the extent of it. Yeah, the environments, they add certain elements that we're going to discuss, whether it be a box that you can control where it goes or honestly, come to think of it, it's just a bunch of boxes. That's really the bulk of what you encounter other than like just things that will kill you that are surrounding the walls, spikes or what have you. But this is just a really unique experience. I wish that I had the time and more importantly, the patience to have actually experienced it the way that most of the world did. But I mean, for research, I just had to go through and do it the way I did. Yeah, I think that that kind of shows a little bit, even the way that you described it, because to me, boxes were not the only change. You know, there was wind factors that played in chapter four, or there was the little orbs that you jump into and they kind of like spit you out or you fly through the air with them. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. So there was, there was a lot of mechanics and it was like basically once per chapter, they would show you something new and that's what you did through that entire chapter, whether that was the mechanical blocks that were they would fly if you dashed or the mechanical blocks that would just float and you move them up and down or left and right or what have you. There was a lot more, I think, to this than just the throwing boxes at you and hoping that you didn't die. Well, the boxes were the main ones that I remember. You know, it's mm -hmm. always a box or a variation of one. One of the things that I thought about while you were talking is in that the last couple of levels are the pinball pop bumpers that are down there that bounce you all over the place. Oh, How yep. could I not know or remember that? But early on in the game, whenever I was playing it, it seemed to be mostly boxes. And that's not a judgment because, I mean, the stuff that you can kind of fly through in one of the earlier levels, the uh, 
boxes that you can hold on to and that's the only way that they'll move all those kind of boxes and that's kind of stuff that's what mostly sticks in my head because that's the most time i played it for context like it took me to get about halfway through the game it took me two hours or something like that almost three probably whenever i got done beating the game with assist mode on it took me three and a half hours right what is your history with this? Because we need to compare notes on how you play this versus how I played it. Yeah, definitely. I actually did play the original Pico 8 version of this game before the actual game came out. And that was kind of my introduction into this whole realm of game. I was really big into learning how to tinker around and develop on the Pico 8. So There was a lot of hype that kind of was centered around this game because of how well done it was. When I saw that they were turning this into a full-fledged game, I was actually really hyped. For some reason or another, maybe it was my massive backlog or something like that, I never actually got around to picking this up when it released. Flash forward two years later, I ended up getting an Xbox Series S and Game Pass Ultimate. Lo and behold, Celeste was there. I actually, before I got the Xbox, I started Celeste on my PC because it was a cross-platform game. So started it there, got to about chapter four or five. And then whenever we decided that that was going to be the game and then we were going to be recording in a few days, I was like, all right, I need to bust this out. I sat down pretty much all of today and just hammered out the rest of the chapters. I did not turn assist mode on, though I thought about it a few times because there was a few parts I got stuck. But again, it goes back to what I was saying before, where this game is very much, if you're dying consistently on a spot, then you're probably doing it wrong and it needs to be rethought. And so that's what I would do. I would just sit down, look at the way that I was doing it and say, okay, how can I do this differently to be able to make this work? All things considered, I think I ended up beating the game just shy of 1100 deaths. And I think I got 105 strawberries out of the 175 that are available. And I want to say three or four B-side cassettes. I did not find any of the blue crystal hearts. I have no clue where those are. When I was playing today, actually, I did find this golden gemstone that I had to break open. And it was used for a room that allows you to get a blue crystal heart if you have gotten all the other gemstones, but that was the first one I had found and it was way late in the game. So no dice there. But really seeing this go from this 8-bit pixelated game that didn't have a story, but just kind of had the fleshed out mechanics of it to a fully functional console title was just really something to behold. And you can really imagine to my surprise though, as I was playing this game, to find out that there was a hidden room that actually had the Pico 8 built into it. I can't imagine what kind of coding it took to do that. So taking a game that you're programming in one engine and being able to stick the entirety of that Pico 8 engine into the game itself, I thought that was just remarkable. Okay. The first note that I took whenever we even just started talking today was what is the Pico 8? Now, obviously I know this, but our audience might not. So if you could explain it, we would appreciate it. Yeah, of course. 
the Pico 8 is, they call it a fantasy console. Basically what it is, is it is a intentional way to restrict yourself as a developer when you're building games. You can use this console, you can program a game, create pixel art in it. Everything is all self-contained within this program. And I think it's like 10 or $15. It's super inexpensive to get a copy of it. It's meant to be like how the NES days were, right? You've got this, these forced limits of how much you can actually do with this console and you have to build a game within that. There's a character limit on how much coding you can write. There is a limited space on where you can draw your sprites and your map tiles. And that space is shared. So you have to kind of navigate around it. It's just meant to be a way to build little mini bite-sized games or prototypes or things like that. All the coding is done in Lua, which is a fairly newish language. I've tinkered around it a little bit and it's been a pretty cool little console to play around in. So you're telling me that this is actually like a physical thing. It's software. Oh, okay. That's why I assumed it was. I obviously had no idea. I assumed that it was just kind of like something in Raspberry Pi or something like that. I didn't expect it to be a physical thing, but when you were like, oh, it's 10 to $15. And I was like, shit, was this real? You know, like just some like little off brand type thing. I I had no idea what it was. So the funny thing about that is that that was actually where I found out about it because a lot of people would download the Pico 8 software onto a Raspberry Pi that was running like a Pi version of Ubuntu or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's where they would develop them. What's cool about the cartridges is if you wanted to give it to somebody, the cartridges are basically like JPEG files. So you hand somebody a JPEG and it's got this little full-fledged game written on it. No clue how that works and how they made that possible. But yeah, that's how the cartridges are distributed. That is nuts. Like I'm a console guy. Everyone knows that. So most of what you just said is French, but I have eaten spaghetti. So I know kind of what you were talking about, if that makes any sort of sense. But yeah, that's really neat. And I did find that room too. That room is actually in the hotel, if I'm not mistaken. Whenever you were talking, and even when I went back and I was playing some yesterday, it's astonishing how big this game is. I found... One, I guess you could call it a crystal heart. I got one heart for beating the one B side that I found. But like by comparison, even when I beat the game with the assist mode on, how many strawberries did you say you had? 105. I ended with 48. (laughs) 48. And I couldn't die. You were dying all over the place. So it really shows how you played the game because you can do it the way I did it, which you can do basically with your hands tied behind your back or you can experience it. You know, you can play it or you can experience it. And I think I played it and I think you experienced it. That's going to be really interesting when we start talking about our tracks, just some of the notes that you've taken away from it versus some of the ones that I've taken away from it. So it's going to be interesting to discuss. Yeah, I agree. And I I like that we're going to have two different approaches because I think that it lends itself well because both of these modes are available. And I think it will allow people to see that you don't have to 
burden yourself with the fact that this game will kill you over and over. Like not Dark Souls kill you, but it will kill you. And if you don't want to deal with that, that's totally okay. Throw on assist mode and you're rocking and rolling. No, and something that you brought up, you know, and we've said before is you die and you die a lot. One thing that they do really well in this game, and I guess you would have to for a game like this, is the respawn times are almost instant where you die and you blink and you're right back at the start of the room, which is something that personally I appreciated. But I mean, if you're going to do a game like this, I would assume that would be almost mandatory, right? Yeah, I mean, you have to for as quickly as the death can happen, you've got to have just an instantaneous send me back and start again. If this had load times or anything like that, you would have a very different experience. And I imagine far less people either playing it or beating it. Yeah, that would check out, honestly. So we're going to go ahead and kick it off and get into our music lists. For this piece of it, I think what we're going to end up doing is because the tracks are so long, we're probably going to have longer segments of music here. So I want to be sure to capture all of the different elements. You'll know what I mean by that when we get into our descriptions of everything. But the minute to minute and a half that I normally do just is not going to cut it to qualify these songs the way that we are talking about them. So bear with us. I wish I could say that it's painful to listen to, but it's not. It's honestly, the the tracks are beautiful, so you're going to enjoy them one way or another. But just know that they are going to be a little bit longer than we normally do. With that being said, we're going to have you start us off, Cody. Tell me your number five. Resurrections. My first note whenever I got done listening to this track is why is this track so long and why does it end so damn dark? This is honestly two songs combined into one, not just in terms of it being nine minutes long, but because it dramatically changes like an abrupt change. The music even pauses for a second, almost like another track is starting. This starts out oddly spooky and is more mysterious than it needs to be. As the track changes, it becomes something more energetic when some of those synth sounds come in. Despite my issues with this track, I can honestly say it gets better the longer you let the track play, and I won't deny that. But if I could have listened to the second part of this song as like a standalone track, I absolutely would have listened to that instead of this.
definitely have plans on talking about the length of these tracks, specifically when we get to my number five. But I will say that I didn't really get spooky or mysterious vibes in the context of this game. What I feel is more like uncertainty. So it was like, this Mm. is one of the earliest tracks that you hear. The task at hand is to climb a mountain, both figuratively and literally. Madeline is trying to conquer this mountain by climbing it. And she's also trying to conquer kind of internal demons and things like that. And so I felt that this track is trying to exemplify that and really kind of hammer that home. I also noticed that when I listened, I didn't hear any discernible pause. There is a point where all of the like main melody goes away and there's still kind of like the background. I can't remember if it's percussion or not, but I am with you as far as the second half of this. When that second part kicks in, that's the part that I love the most. Yeah, it doesn't completely cut off it just it might as well be a cut off like there's nothing else going you know it's like one string of like violin or something it could be weird but anyways you're right like we said this is a game about overcoming depression and anxiety and your inner demons in general and our main character madeline decides that she wants to climb a mountain it's one of those like If I can do one thing, you know, it'll make you feel better, that kind of thing. But you're right when you were talking about, I think you said, you know, uncertainty, because there are many times in this level or in the start of the game where she stops and she asks herself, I don't think I can do this, you know, and she's really full of self-doubt, you know, at the start of this game. And hell, I mean, even through almost to the end, you know, when some other stuff happens that we're going to talk about. But I can see where... It's not as spooky or mysterious because, I mean, as a standalone track, if you didn't know what's going on with the game, which I didn't take into consideration, then I could I stand by what I said. But in context of the game, you nailed it. Yeah, that's absolutely what's going on. All right, bud. What is your number five? My number five is called Golden. I wanted to note that even though I have beaten this game, I don't know these songs well enough in the context of the game because it's so new to me and sometimes laying these pieces out and, you know, putting notes together and things like that. We sit down with these tracks and everything, but sometimes the details can get a little muddied. So if there's anything that I butcher along the way, Cody, feel free to correct me. And listeners, if you hear anything, I apologize in advance. Golden is an interesting track because This particular level is actually really long and the track is equally long to match with it. I want to say this was one of the ones that was like nine minutes long. But when you listen to it, there's actually three separate versions that kind of come out. So there's one that goes from the zero mark to three minutes, three and a half minutes, somewhere around there. Then it goes from like three and a half to seven minutes and then seven minutes to the end. So It's meant to kind of gradually progress as you move through the stage that you hear these different parts as you go along. Lena ends up invoking so many different feelings out of just one track by morphing it along to something completely different. It kind of is bizarre and wonderful all at the same time. Another point that really appeals to me about the soundtrack of this game is the contrast of the more serene songs 
that's coupled with more of the chaotic nature of the gameplay. To me, it really helped keep my cool amidst dying over and over as you learn your way through each of the levels. This is especially prevalent in this level because you're introduced to not only a lot of gaps, but there are the movable blocks and the wind that are all brand new mechanics up to this point. And by movable blocks, I don't mean the ones that you, like you said, grab onto or anything like that or ride them. These are the black blocks that you can actually maneuver. Just as a quick sidebar, I was doing a stream when I was playing this game and I did not know you could actually move the blocks when you were grabbing onto them. So I'm like stuck in this room and I could not figure out. I'm like, I've explored everything, can't figure it out. Where the heck am I supposed to go? Turns out that this black block that was going upwards, if you're just sitting on it, you can move it left and right and you would be able to get to where you need to go. So that was fun. But yeah, getting your bearings right as the wind blows left and right can be really difficult and is part of the reason why you hear this track so much and probably why it's so long. But yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very solid and matched the background setting that you see as well as the the area that you're actually navigating through.
be honest, this level is a pain in the butt, even when you can't die. I'll be, <laughs> that's just the honest to God truth. It was a tough you, one for sure. <laughs> I mean, like I would get to the bottom of the screen and literally bounce my way across just because the wind is so annoying because it's either your friend or your foe. But overall, honestly, I take that whole thing back. Think about it. It's completely your enemy because by the time that you end up getting kind of used to the rhythm and what the wind actually does, it'll either change speed or direction and just completely mess with you. I appreciate this track because it is peaceful, but I do wish that this was two tracks. That's really my main complaint about this soundtrack in particular. I mean, the songs are great and amazing, but I'm someone typically who just because of how much I work, I'm like, we need shorter soundtracks to listen to, you know, and I hate doing it, but it's just the context of time. This is me begging for more tracks to listen to just because they do change. It's something that you point out versus Resurrections. In Resurrections, it's a dramatic change. It's a sudden from being kind of slow to being more energetic. With Golden, it's more gradual. You know, it starts as one track and then it'll add kind of a couple other elements to it and then it'll add a little bit more. It kind of helps to build on what that baseline track is. But by the time you get to the end of it, it's a completely separate track. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's very long, but as you said, it builds on each piece as you go through and it's meant to be that progression through the stage that way. Whereas Resurrections is kind of two parts. You're right. It's much more dramatic. It's like you've got this slower, almost melancholic sounding beginning And then all of a sudden it ramps up. It's like, all right, you've started moving through this mountain. Let's kick it up a notch and let's bust tail and get ourselves up this mountain. Yeah, it's jarring how dramatic it is. You know, I'm sitting over here thinking that another track had legitimately started. And they're like, oh, wait, no, you're only like four minutes in. And I'm like, Jesus, okay. All right, Peter, what is your number four? My number four is Madeline and Theo. During the course of the game... Theo and Madeline meet one another and become friends through this mountain climb. Theo will typically offer words of advice and encouragement to Madeline throughout her journey to kind of ease her mind and let her know that, hey, everything's okay. I'm here to encourage you along, that kind of thing. These typically come in the form of these little discussions that the two of them have sitting in front of a campfire. and. At these points, we learn a lot about Madeline as Theo talks to her. Later in the game, you actually start learning a bit about Theo as well. But I I thought these were really good character building moments. And I think that's why this track stuck. The other reason why this track stuck is because the acoustic guitar that drives this is divine. This particular track reminds me of the same feeling you get in a save room inside of Resident Evil. It's like for a brief moment, you can breathe easy knowing that you are not only safe, but you've got a friend to talk to during this perilous journey. Something to me, I think is very important in folks with depression and anxiety, even though we may feel like in those moments that we don't actually want to talk to anybody. And that is a a driving factor in this story that they try and emphasize is that if you are suffering from depression, if you are suffering from anxiety, even if you don't feel like it, You should talk to somebody, get it off your chest, let them know how you're feeling. You never know. It may make you feel just the tiniest bit better. 
There is a fun fact about this song is that if you listen to the soundtrack on YouTube or the official soundtrack that Lena has up on her Bandcamp, this track ends and actually continues into Star Jump. So talking about what you were referring to, Cody, this is an example of a track that did actually break it apart. that I never thought about because of the way I beat the game. I never got that feeling of relief whenever I got to Theo. I was always safe. So when I heard this in the game, it typically was just to hear more of the story. Comparing it to the save room music is a great pull. I never would have made that connection. The main point that I remember hearing this is right after the mirror temple and Madeline and Theo are having a huge heart to heart. And when I did my notes, I, I knew you hadn't beaten the game, but now that I say that, you know, exactly the point of the game that I'm talking about. It's a real turning point for them and their friendship in the game. And the track plays really well with the conversation that they're having. For me, it's the piano that makes me like this track as much as I do. Yeah, I yeah, I apologize. I know that I wrote the notes up like I didn't beat it because I hadn't at the time. And then, like I said, hammered it all out the rest of today. And I was like, well, now it's done. But I do know exactly what you're referring to. And I, the reason I love that particular conversation in general is because finally we're seeing that it's not just Madeline that has issues, right? Theo's got his own issues that he's dealing with. We obviously don't delve into it in the way that we do with Madeline, because this is her story and we're, we're learning about her, but it is nice to know and helps Madeline feel more comfortable about the fact that she does have these things going on because it's like, yeah, you've got them, but I do too. Like it's, you're not abnormal. You're not weird for having these things happen. It's okay because I got them too. One other thing I'll add on to that is that 
in the beginning, the very first chat you have with Theo, he asks for a selfie and she's very reluctant to do mm. so. And the picture shows it, right? She's like, yeah, doesn't have a smile. She's just not really all that into it. And by this conversation, she's the one who asks him for a selfie. And he's like, I thought you'd never ask. And the picture is just, it's like heartwarming. I saw it and I just like completely melted. It was a very great turning point for Madeline, in my opinion. Yeah, to see her growth through the game was heartwarming. There's not another real way to put it. And every time we got a little bit more of the story, this is what played. This is why they go hand in hand, at least for me. And, you know, the style of play that I attacked this game with, which is really remarkable, too, because there's not a lot of story to it. We don't hang out with Theo too terribly much he's with us through part of like one level and then it's just by campfire just talking one note i would like to bring up since we're talking about these two and something that i thought was really interesting was i have no choice other than to call it the breathing exercise mini game that he kind of teaches her try to control your breaths like you're trying to keep a feather floating and Breathing exercises help certain people. For me, they don't do too much. I am a pacer to my dying day. I will pace around the world, (laughs) and I probably have. But it was interesting not only to have that, to have him teach her that, but to also have her to use it independently on her own later on. I just thought that was something that was worth mentioning. Yeah, their relationship in this game is... It's really endearing, and I I love seeing them together. All right, Cody, let's hear your number four. Number four is Scattered and Lost. I died so much listening to this track. Now, not when I did my most recent playthrough, but my initial playthrough, I died so, so, so much. This is the level that I quit on when I first played the game. This song is driven by its piano when it starts. Then some synth comes in, giving it an almost haunting quality to it, which makes sense since the owner of this hotel still haunts the place. The almost dubstep beats are really off-putting and almost made this track get rejected from my list. But then, just when I least expected it, an honest-to-God trap set comes out of nowhere and saves the day. Outside of the Tony Hawk episode, I don't think we have heard a proper trap set on one of these soundtracks that we've covered so far. Yes, it's used in earlier tracks as well with a hi-hat being thrown around, but it wasn't used as well as it was up to this point. I hate that it comes in so late into the track, but I'll take what I can get. This isn't a super amazing track to me, but the trap set saved it for me and made it more unique when I first heard it.
I was very interested in seeing how our lists were going to pull out of this because as I put mine together, I had my number five, my number four, and number two all done and none of them matched up. And I'm like, oh my God, is this going to be the soundtrack that we don't have any matches at all? (laughs) But I came across this track after I think it was my second listen through and I was like, nope, this one's got to go on there. My number three ended up being scattered and lost as well. So we do end up having a duplicate and we continue the trend. (laughs) (laughs) I breathe the sigh of relief. I'm like, all right, the new year didn't change us that much. (laughs) Nope. We're still garbage. (laughs) If there's one way that I can summarize this song into just one phrase is that this song hits different. (laughs) I can see why you'd want to give up at this point because there are a lot of new mechanics at this moment that are introduced here, mostly around the little like cilia hairs that are when you walk across them, you can't go back over them or the little blob things that are going. It really challenges you on your jumps a lot. It's all worth it for this song. So what was interesting was that the beginning part of the hotel has kind of more of a hotel-ish sounding song. It's, it's kind of dreary, doesn't really have much to it. But once you get through like that main preliminary part where you're helping, I forget what the dude's name is, like Mr. Odor, Mr. O something. I forget what his name is. But once you finish helping him and all the rooms getting cleaned up and everything like that, that's when this track comes in. I Really loved watching the little blobs bouncing up and down and side to side as if they were dancing to the song. This is also one of the few tracks that do not shift midway through. Something to note about the dubstep that you were calling it is that even though this track kind of kicks it into overdrive when all those pieces come together and it sounds like something that you can freestyle off of, which I will not be doing today. (laughs) Um, Thank you. The piano uses a lot of minor chords in the background to keep instilling that unsettling feeling, even while the main part of the jam is kind of kicking all those fresh beats. I took piano lessons for a little while, I'd say close to a year. So I'm definitely amateur when it comes to this stuff. But I was told that back in the day, it was actually not popular to use minor chords because it invoked a sense or or feeling of evil. It's easy to get lost in the front part of this track, you know, the part that kind of is prevalent and what you hear readily. So I would urge you that if you are listening to this, to listen twice. First, just listen to how you would normally listen to it. And then on the second run, listen to the background piano and what it's doing for this track. It is absolutely brilliant how much it adds to the song and makes you realize that it is not just this upbeat and poppy track. While you were talking, I looked it up and I just lost it again because my phone went blank. Oshiro. Oshiro. Um, That's the name that we were looking for. We knew we started with an O. So, yay, we got it right. Uh, Something I wanted to uh, mention or at least bring up. You had said that minor notes or minor chords were always reflective of something off-putting or evil. And I had heard that too. So much so, I don't know if this is like legit but I had heard, I'm going to call it a rumor that that's why you either never or rarely hear them in gospel or in hymns or anything like that in the Christian faith, because it was just evil. It was bad. You don't do it. So 
I read that and I hadn't thought about that since I was probably in high school. So that was a really deep pull. But I mean, you said it and I absolutely remember that being a thing. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it again and actually pay attention to kind of what you were pointing out, because that's not something that necessarily stuck out like a sore thumb to me. I mean, I listened to the track a couple of times, you know, as we do when we're doing this show, but that was never something that hit. So I'll have to take another listen here in a little bit. It's so subtle that if you're not intentionally trying to hear it, you'll miss it. And you'll think like, oh, this is more of an upbeat song. We're, we're really moving through this. But she does a great job with keeping the general tone of this being a story about somebody who's fighting their struggles, not something that's more accomplishment based. All right, Cody, that was my number three. So let's hear your number three. My number three is Reach for the Summit. Honestly, I can't believe this didn't make your list because this is such a you track as you written all over it. <laughs> this is such a predictable pick for either of us. This is Madeline and Battleline, which, by the way, I hate the name Battleline. And I, I do don't too. think it's I don't think it's canon because it's never said in the game. But according to the wiki, it said Battleline, and that's what I put in my notes, and I hate myself for it. But Battleline is basically the physical manifestation of Madeline. It's emo Madeline, basically. It's her and her negativity, and she, they speak to each other in the game. It's weird. Go play Celeste. I think in the game, somebody actually references it as goth Madeline. Yeah, She's called uh, like goth Madeline or Madeline, however you want to say it. And also Madeline just refers to it as part of me. Yes. Which I thought that was a lot deeper. She won't address exactly what it is, whether it be depression or what have you. It's just a part of her. And I thought that was really well done in terms of the writing and how someone who's depressed feels. They don't feel like it's this label or this stigmatized thing. It's just them. They are human. And this is just part of who they are or who we are. Because I've gone through this stuff too. And it very much kind of is that way. So yeah, that was a side tangent, not talking about music, but there we go. <laughs> All right. So this is a Madeline and the part of her working together to reach the summit of the mountain. When a battle line does show up in these levels, it's always at the end of a segment in in a real tag team kind of a way. It shows and gives you the sense that they are learning how to work together and to coexist. There's a certain anxiousness and excitement to this track, which I appreciate, which makes sense because this is our final push to the end of the game, to the summit. We have heard many soundtracks do this in the past, but this track is just a walked out memory lane. This time, it's more fitting, though, because you are playing through new sections of old levels. This is the longest song on the soundtrack because of that. This track is unique, but the way it pulls in the themes of the older levels is really well done.
So when I wrote up my notes for this, this was pre beating it. And now that I have, I still stand with the fact that it is not on mine, but I can understand exactly why you would think that it would be because I history has taught us. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've definitely pulled those compilation tracks before in film tracks like this are usually played right at like the falling action into the resolution of the film. And I feel like this track is no different. This sense of anxiety that you talk about when you hear this is very prevalent. But if you listen to it, I want to say it's like a minute and a half to two minutes in. All of a sudden, there's more of these lighter notes, I believe from the piano that come in and it instills hope. It's like you're this close to being done with the mountain. You can do it. You kind of feel like you can conquer this. You're ready to do it. And you're right there. Right. I really loved the fact that not only from the the musical side that the track evolves and has like little bits and parts from the music you've heard up to this point, but even the level itself has little elements that touch on the different levels along the way. In past games where we've talked about these credit compilations, you know, is, is really where they normally lie, where you listen to it and kind of relive it in your mind. In this, you're reliving them physically. You're playing through each of these worlds. And it's basically like, here are the lessons you've learned along the way. Can you apply them again and make it to the top? I really adored that. There's nothing wrong with this track and to why it didn't make it on my list. It's just more of, I had so many other ones that I wanted to cover for different reasons. So if I had not had one of my tracks on there, I likely would have had this on there. This was, this would have been my very close swap for one of the ones that I have currently. Yeah. I bring it up and you mentioned it, but the reason that I put this track on my list, because as we know, this is a rare pick for me. The only reason why I put it there was because you're playing through sections of old levels. We're not sections, but new levels in the design of old levels, you know, using old level mechanics because it made sense. And it wasn't just a here are the credits go down memory lane and remember all the friends that we had along the way, that kind of deal. It made it hit differently, both playing it, even though I couldn't die. Also, just hearing it, knowing that the two kind of went hand in hand. So, yeah, that's the reason. That's the main reason why it's on there. That and Summit to the Mountain, because I do like how when Battleline comes in and in almost anime fashion, just throws you through the air into the (laughs) next section. I found that really amusing. Yeah, this whole level, it's long and it's really challenging through. uh, This is probably I got stuck in two places. Once was in an earlier chapter and then once was here. I want to say it was like the 15th or 14th marker. It might have been a little bit further along, but I can say that you are very fortunate that you played using the assist on this one because I think that I racked up at least two to 300 deaths alone on the summit because it is so challenging. Oh yeah. And I mean, to be clear, like I do have the infinite dashes, not jumps, but the infinite dashes, which is even more important than infinite jumps. Even with that on, I still tried to play the level. I just couldn't die. So if I accidentally 
ran into the red and black stuff from the hotel that would in normal circumstances kill you. It just wouldn't kill me. But I still tried to traverse the level as accurately as I could. Just if I missed, I had a couple extra jumps to get me to where I needed to be. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So do we want to do your number two? My number two is Old Sight Black Moonrise Mix, uh, which is actually one of the B-side tracks. The B-side tracks can only be heard when you unlock the B-side stages through normal gameplay. There's usually a hidden room or something like that where you can find a cassette tape and it will open this level up and you'll be able to play what is arguably a harder version of the stage that they were found in. This particular one is for the stage where you first run into Battleline with all of the little space warpy things everywhere. And I'm pretty sure it's a remix to Resurrections. I'm a little biased for picking this song because Ben Prunty worked on this track and I absolutely adore his work. If you're not familiar with him, he is most notable for his contributions to the FTL Faster Than Light soundtrack which is also an indie or was also an indie sensation. It may still be, I'm, I'm not really sure, but his touch can actually be felt throughout this track. Given that his most notable soundtrack was space themed, it made a ton of sense to see his hand in a stage that has very space-like elements to it. I wanted desperately to mark this as my number one, but felt like it would be really unfair and biased to do so. So I settled for putting it as my number two.
is the music that plays during the only B-side tape I found and only B-side level I actually played. Note to everyone, don't play the B-side levels because they are hard, man. None of them have any ground for you to land on at all. I've loved the guitar in this so much. There isn't a ton of a guitar on the soundtrack, so when it does get used, I always enjoy it. I love how dark this is, and it matches the vibe of the level to a T. I can hear what you mean about the ties to Resurrections, though, so I'm glad that you actually said that, because otherwise I would have missed it. But, I mean, it's there. If you listen to them back-to-back, it's easy to hear. And honestly, I'm just glad that one of us was able to put a B-side track on the list because they are so creative in what they are. The only reason why none of the B-side tracks got put on my list was because I couldn't find them and play them, really. This was the only one. And while I do like it, there are certain other tracks that I want to talk about more. I was excited that this was one of the B-sides that I did get. And I played through it. And like you said, they are very challenging. When I found out that Ben had his hands in this, I was immediately in love because I liked the track on its own. But now knowing that he has touched it, I can't tell you how much I listened to the FTL soundtrack because of him. He's just an incredibly talented composer and musician. And I think that it was a great pick having him on here. What else has he done? Anything that I might know? Probably not. He has done a few other things. Most of his stuff has just been independent work. If you get a chance, like Lena Rain, he's on Bandcamp. So if you get a chance, head over to Bandcamp, search for his name and go listen to some of the stuff he does. He's definitely got a, so if you're familiar with his work, he's definitely got like a style that he kind of sticks to, but it's very unique and something that, you know, I don't know if it's the, tools that he uses or the instruments or what have you, but he's got a style that kind of sticks with him and it can definitely be heard in this track specifically. All right. Yeah. I'll go give him a look up later because you don't get passionate about too many composers. So it's going to be interesting to compare and see those. I gush over Shoji Meguro and I gush over Koji Kondo and now I'm gushing over him. So <laughs> he's right, right he's in this. the list. Yeah, he's, he's in that caliber. So and now Lena, because this soundtrack was phenomenal, too. Anyways, fanboying aside, what is your number two? My number two is confronting myself. When I played the game and I heard this, I instantly knew that it was my number one. Clearly, that changed. <laughs> This is the final boss fight of the game in which you are fighting that part of you that has been stuck with us this entire game. The tone of this fight is unlike anything else that we have covered on this show before, though. A boss fight is a boss fight, but this one is by far more personal for our protagonist compared to other games that we've covered in the past. This isn't Ganon trying to destroy Hyrule. This is a girl who is finally confronting, taking control of, and ultimately beating her demons. This track has a certain determination to it that is just hard to describe. It's almost a celebration, really. I love the vocals that are included in this track. This track is just a perfect modern 16-bit classic. This is the best song on the soundtrack to me. 
I wanted to be able to add more to this, but I think that you absolutely nailed the feeling that this track brings when you listen to it. I just want to further emphasize that the vocals on this track really add so much to it that it Mm -hmm. is worth listening to for those alone. And I wondered when I was listening, if they chose the, it's almost like a hey ya parts of the vocals intentionally to simulate the sounds of combat. The only minor point I wanted to argue here is that even though the visuals are reminiscent of a 16-bit game, the soundtrack I knew is, this was going to get me. <laughs> sorry, man. The soundtrack is anything but. Lena has a full arsenal of tools at her disposal when she creates these. I may be wrong on that, but I don't think she was working off of a specific sound chip limited to the standard six channels that you would see in, in a 16-bit game. So just wanted to make a minor correction. But when I played this battle and was going up against this particular boss, I loved the way that the combat was. Obviously, this game is not built for combat. There's no attack buttons. You don't fight anything along the way. Mm -hmm. So you just have your jump and your dash through this entire game. So the way that they incorporated using that to be able to combat this particular boss is just it felt just as rewarding as if you had gone through using your reference of the legend of zelda going through a full zelda game getting all the weapons that you needed and being able to fight off ganon or something like that very different premises on both ends of the spectrum but still the same feel good moment whenever you complete it yeah. Next time I pick a generation or a bit styling, I'm just going to put chip tune, like just <laughs> instead. That way people will know what the hell I'm talking about. And I'm not correct it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, I loved it. And it, it's like I said, it's not my number one, but we'll, we'll get there in a minute. But I could listen to this any time. Like this is on a rare list of things that I would like put on a playlist which doesn't always happen when we're going through these. There are rare exceptions that I'm actually excited to listen to again, you know, outside of the game. But this definitely made that list as soon as I heard it. And yes, the Hayes and the Yaz were a large part of why. But I, I don't think they have anything to do with combat. That is a interesting note in pull. I don't think so. That's where I just got more of the positive motivation. Because, I mean, yeah, it's like a positive word anyway so anyways i digress all right buddy what is your number one my number one is quiet and falling whenever i had played through the game and kind of stopped i actually stopped just on this chapter i hadn't actually started it until today so i found that it was from chapter five and It starts off with a very melancholic piano with a very simplistic composition. It consists of eight measures of a repeating set of notes and just runs with that. Then about midway through, there's this subtle drone that comes in that's coupled with these little bubbly trills. And that's the best way that I can describe it because I don't actually know what the hell is happening there. But when I hear it, It immediately takes me to a waterscape, which is funny because I'm fairly certain that throughout all of Celeste, there is no real water levels in the game. There are some watery parts, but 
nothing that's like fully underwater or anything like that. When I listened to this, I got really strong vibes of aquatic ambiance from DKC. It reminds me of when you're in a dream and you feel like you're kind of free falling forever, but instead of hitting the ground or landing on something or anything, you kind of just like plop through a bubble and then you are kind of stuck in it. Even though you're maybe not moving or anything like that, you still get like a sinking feeling inside of your stomach. That was kind of the vibe that I ended up picking up from this track.
when I did my first pass for this episode, my only note for this was, this could be a water level if I didn't know any better. (laughs) This is a very slow track. Like most of the longer songs, I feel like this track doesn't really come into its own until around the halfway point, though. Even the water level vibes don't even start until much later with just these little trills that you were talking about when those come in. Unlike some of the long tracks, though, this one doesn't change that much. This is just one long, beautiful, serene track. Listening to this track would calm anyone down or at the very least relax them. Comparing it to aquatic ambiance, though, I don't know, man. I don't. That, that's a that's a hot take. I might have to back away from on that one. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a bit of a stretch. It's not nearly as focused, I guess, as aquatic ambiance is. But I likened it to it only for the simple fact that it does have kind of that watery atmosphere to it. Given the fact that this is not a water level at all, I think that if it had been. It would fit for that, but otherwise, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a a really strong soundtrack. No, I mean, the soundtrack is great. You know, I have my own like nitpicks with the one track versus two thing. What's interesting, though, is when you said you got kind of aquatic ambiance vibes, what I got was something completely different, which was oddly, and I know they sound nothing alike, But Zora's Domain is kind of mentally where it took me back to. Hmm. Zora's Domain and Aquatic Ambiance may not sound anything alike, but I think it says a lot that we both thought of more peaceful, zen-like water tracks at all. Even though there's no water in this particular chapter, the song does have a dreamlike water vibe that it gives. Yeah, and it's weird that is the way it is. I don't remember what level this is for at all, but I mean... It seems out of place. It's not a bad track here. All we're doing is nitpicking an amazing track. So yeah, it's a really good, really meditative and relaxing track. I'm proud of you, Peter. I'm seeing some real growth from you these past two episodes. (laughs) Well, thanks, Cody. Let's go ahead and round us off and give me your number one. My number one is In the Mirror. And everyone, brace yourself because this is the most notes that I've had for a single song since we started Deep Bass. I started taking notes for this track just like I do all the others, commenting about the music, etc. Then my notes and my research just kind of changed. So for that, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. At this point in the game, this is basically Madeline breaking down. This is her breaking point, actually. As you play through this level, she kind of realizes that all of her negative thoughts and her anxiety are manifesting into these creatures that are literally trying to kill her and her new friend, Theo. At the start of this level, you're inside a mirror temple. That's actually just what's called. It's the mirror temple. After a little bit of exploration, you get trapped in a mirror, and that's where things really go to hell and the Madeline breaks down. If you listen closely, you will notice two very interesting things. When you are in the mirror world, it's the same music that you just heard just played backwards, which is why it sounds as eerie as it does. The other thing you will hear is a voice, but you can't understand it. If you play the track backwards, because again, we're in a mirror world and the music is being played backwards, you can actually understand the voice. 
what the voice says is this. Sometimes I don't really know what's going on anymore. I don't know who I am. I just look in the mirror and I don't know who I'm looking at or who's looking back at me. I think a lot of where my train of thought is going and it's not always a good place. And that scares me. I don't like scaring myself. When you have depression and anxiety, you constantly feel trapped inside your own head, often with thoughts and feelings similar to this. This level in this game is a literal representation of that. These little details are thoughtful and amazing to me, and that's what makes this my number one. I appreciated this game as a whole so much more after doing research for this track.
That's deep, bro. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's as deep as I've gotten on this thing. But I mean, it's true. Like I was listening to the track and at first I thought I was listening to like a crappy kind of recording of it. You know, like someone was recording it like with a microphone held up to like a TV and like they were whispering, trying to be quiet because it is kind of underneath there. It's almost distracting to kind of hear the vocals. But I wanted to know what it said. So I did what anyone else would do. I searched in the mirror lyrics and that's what I found. And whenever I saw that and I realized what it was, it just made me realize the love, care and level of detail that they were putting into this game. Because it's one thing to be like, oh, this is a game about depression and anxiety and make it hard and challenging and have like the story there which I didn't assume that they did or anything like that for them to put this much detail and thought into it made me realize how much of their hearts were actually in this game when they made it. So yeah, it is deep, but it was an amazing kind of journey of realization when I was doing my research to actually learn all that. No, I mean, I agree hundred percent. Literally the note that I have written was that's deep bro and that's it that's the only note i have no <laughs> oh excellent we can close up all right thanks for listening everyone when i first heard this song i was actually really surprised to see it so high even with the percussion that it has in it mm -hmm. it just didn't seem like your kind of track when i heard it and then i was listening to you as you told your description of it in the middle of that i muted myself and i'm just like all right be right back crying now <laughs> it's like, I, I I heard you unmute whenever you came back. Yeah, I was. I, was, I mean, I was like, Peter's either laughing or crying, one or the other. Yeah, that, I mean, that's just like you're right. The amount of detail and attention to every little bit that this game has regarding depression and anxiety is just—it's earth-shattering. It's relatable. It's something that anybody can pick up. And if you've experienced anything like that, you'll be able to find something in here that you can be like, oh yeah, I know what that's like or something. They did not just slap this over a normal game and say, oh yeah, this is a game about depression and anxiety. And meanwhile, it's like Metroid or something, you know? Right. When I had originally written up my notes, I was saying that I hated myself a little bit for not having finished it to experience this firsthand, but I did, thankfully. And I was very much in the same boat as you. Now, I didn't get a chance to do the research like you did. So I was really happy to hear all of the little anecdotes and notes that you had put in there. But when I listened to this track, I remember hearing the words, but it sounded to me kind of like whispering, like you had mentioned. Yeah. It kind of hurt my soul a little bit because. It reminded me of some of the stuff that we see on the internet about there are comics that are done for depression and anxiety and things like that, where it's like on the outside, everybody looks fine. You look normal. Life is good. But on the inside, we have this voice, the inner monologue, right? And it's always telling us all the things we can't do or who we can't be or anything like that. It's just this negative voice that's always there. I mean, I had it for a long time about even this podcast and wondering, like, is this something I should be doing? Is this 
worthwhile is I probably it's stupid. I should probably stop. I didn't make out the words because I didn't know that this track was actually in reverse until you mentioned it, but I didn't need to. I just knew that when I heard this whispering in my ears, that it just felt wrong, like something was off. This was an outstanding track before I knew the context behind it. And now I think it's, it's revolutionary. I'm going to go ahead and pause the recording so I can finish crying. Cody, you go ahead and take over from here. (laughs) You know what? I do encourage you and everyone else to actually go and listen to it over on YouTube. Just to type in, in the lyrics mirror Celeste, because the way I read it isn't how it's done in the game. I kind of went through it really quickly, but it's clearly someone breaking down. You know, it's sometimes... I don't really know what's going on anymore. You know, it, it's performed instead of some moron in Georgia just reading words off his computer <laughs> screen. But the worst part about it is that at the end, you know, the final thing that she says is, I don't like scaring myself. And then it's just sobbing for the rest of the time that there are vocals. And it's just gut wrenching and oddly and sadly relatable. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, Anyone who's gone through something like this or is going through something like this, this definitely will hit home with you on some level. But yeah, I will definitely be listening to the unreversed reversed version of this. And I'll if I can find what I'm looking for, I will link it in the show notes so that it's easily accessible because I'm going to try and capture as much of this song in particular as I can. But if you want to hear it, reversed so that you can hear the lyrics and everything like that. I will have it available for everybody. Well, we've made it to the end of the first episode of 2020 or 2020, 2021. Let's hope not. I know we've just re we've gone back in time and now we're reliving 2020. The first episode of 2021, while it was a more deep and personal episode and one that touches on some pretty serious topics, like I said, I feel like this was a very fitting game given the kind of year we had in 2020. Whenever you put it on the list and I, or we had talked about it, it was like, oh yeah, I play part of that game. Let's do it. And then once I finished the game, I was like, wait, why? Is this fitting for starting a new year? Because I was thinking, you know, something more upbeat and happy, not the fact that we had just exited 365 days of hell. In that context, whenever you say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that checks out. So that makes sense. Let's go to work. Right, exactly. Yeah, I wish that it could have been something more celebratory or things like that. But I think we covered a good bit of that in the last episode with Animal Crossing and now more of a, a reality check, right? This is something we're going to have to endure and know about. And it's part of our history now for the rest of our lives. So thought it was worthwhile to cover something like this that we could all, for the most part, really relate to. Yeah, this year was rough. I mean, Lord, the amount of things that have happened in my life. I mean, as on brand 2020, as it gets, because Peter, you know, almost everything that's happened to me. I mean, 
I end the year with a broken rib for Christ's sake. <laughs> like, I know like, over a like hug. It, <laughs> it's like, which how is much like, Hey, it's on brand me, but like 2020 has definitely kicked everyone when they were at their lowest and couldn't go lower. And guess what? They sure did in some way, shape or form. There's no one out there or very few people out there that are thriving after what we went through, but we're all just getting by trying to do this. One thing that, you know, this game will teach you is that you can't do it alone. So we're all just in it together. That's right. Yeah. And that was one of the the key points I wanted to take away from that. And what was kind of emphasized is that we are in a situation where a lot of us are alone and why this episode was so fitting. So it's very much easier and at least more manageable when you have somebody that you can just vent to. So I think Zoom is free now. Skype has always been free. There's Discord. There's all kinds of things. Find a group, find a person, anything like that. And just talk, chat, get it all out there, get it off your chest. Hopefully it helps make the upcoming year if we're trapped under more quarantine, a little bit more manageable for everybody. Yeah, I'm one of the rare people that doesn't like other people. So I was fine with quarantine. Thank you. But I know it is actually hard on other people. You know, people were like, oh, wait, you have to stay at home. And I'm like, done. I do that anyway. I'm an introvert. What are you talking about? This is part of who I am. The funny thing about it is I am too. Like I'm very much a homebody. I have no problems going out and doing things. You know, my wife likes doing stuff. So I'm obviously more than happy to go out and do things with her and, and stuff like that. But I'm very much a homebody. You know, my natural state of being is at home in sweats on the couch, you know, watching a movie or playing a video game. But even for as long of a period of time as this has been, I miss going out to eat and going to the movies and things like that. Like there are some things that I do miss and it is starting to wear on me. Even, you know, it took longer, I think, than most people, but it's definitely gotten to the point where it's like, okay, this is old and tiresome now. Wear your mask, people. <laughs> yeah, I guess movies is the only thing that I miss or say I miss, quote unquote. I mean, I was supposed to be watching the new Ghostbusters movie that was supposed to come out earlier this year. I would have owned that by now and dissected it way too much. So I would say movies probably was one of the hardest things that we quote unquote, lost this past year. But when it comes to like eating out or something like that, I was someone who never necessarily liked eating at a restaurant. I just like go pick it up and bring it home. But I mean, that's the guy coming from the guy who worked retail at a place that sold batteries and I needed batteries, but I ordered them off of Amazon to avoid the human interaction. So that's, (laughs) again, just me. And yes, that's a real story. (laughs) That's amazing. We're going to go ahead and close up here. I do have a few last minute things that I wanted to cover because this episode, we actually could not come up with a question of the episode. I wasn't sure what to ask for this particular game. It was like Cody said, what do you ask people? Like, hey, how many of you guys got depression? 
Yeah. <laughs> like and subscribe below if you have depression. <laughs> it's like it's just, oh, man, the numbers would go up so much. Actually, do that. Yes. <laughs> right. So uh, I just had a, a quick fact about the game, and and one of the things that really kind of solidify its charm is that Theo actually does have an Instapix account. You can find it on Instagram at Theo Understars. And it is safe to say that he's hit his goal of getting a thousand followers, which is what he talks about in the game. But yeah, if you're curious to see, they have a, the account set up and they've got a lot of his little adventures and selfies all there. And I thought that was a, a really charming addition to the game. Have you checked it out, Cody? No. Is it still updating? You know what? I don't know. I know that there are a lot of posts there. I don't know if they're recent or not. Because I mean, I would just keep the artist on retainer and just be like, hey, you know, draw another one just to keep the game relevant. I mean, it came out a couple of years ago, but I mean, these are really good characters. They're as simple as they are complex, which doesn't make sense, but play Celeste and you'll understand what I mean. But no, anytime like something from a game crosses into real life, kind of like that in a marketing kind of way, I love that. I mean, I went to college for marketing, so that was a really brilliant move by somebody. Yeah, I thought it was a, a really charming addition. And it was like one of those things where he, Theo mentions his handle in the, in the game. And I'm like, I wonder. So I went and looked and sure enough, whole count right there with uh, pictures from the game, pictures that aren't in the game. It was just a really nice touch, but few housekeeping items. So if you are interested in listening to this soundtrack and more, I did want to mention since Lena Rain is one of the few artists that is active and making music in a place where you can pick it up, you can go to radicaldreamland.bandcamp.com and go pick up this soundtrack as well as several others. I know I will be picking it up because that's how I will power this episode with music from that soundtrack. But She's got a few albums. I think the newest one that just came out was Renowing. So she is still actively making music. So if you enjoyed this and want to hear more from her or want to pick up this soundtrack, head on over to that link and you'll be able to get there. It'll be in the show notes as well. So don't feel you need to like pause it or anything. We'll get you that link. The last one, which is a bit of a surprise and one that I was working on over the holidays, is that uh, the Deep Pace podcast is now on Discord. You're finally going to be able to teach me what Discord is because I'm old and I don't know. <laughs> I am going to teach you Discord. Yes. So obviously we want to have areas where a lot of people are interacting with us and things like that. And Leaving comments, liking those kinds of things, that's all outdated old people stuff. So I wanted to get with the times and have something that was a little more community based because when I say we want your feedback, whether it's answering a question of the week or anything like that, we really mean it because we're super involved in this and we want to be able to engage with you. We've got a couple of folks who are religiously talking to us about each new episode and shout outs to them because we love them for it. But the Deep Base Podcast Discord is going to have a lot of different elements to it. So it's got a place where you can talk about the most recent episode that came out. It's got a place for feedback and suggestions. So anything you want to see in the podcast or anything you want to see added in or anything like that, that can all be in there. It's got an area where you can talk about what you're currently playing because who knows, maybe it's something that we overlooked and didn't realize and we'll pick it up in a future episode or something. 
And of course, it's got a Q&A. So anything that you want to ask, uh, you can ask there and we'll pull it onto the episode and we'll answer it live on the recording. So you'll have that. It also has a few voice channels as well. So if you feel like grouping up or anything like that, like I said, you guys are more than welcome to jump in, chat. But the thing I am most proud about in this Discord is that it has a jukebox. Obviously, our podcast is focused on music. So I wanted to make sure that there was a way to do that. So you can jump into the jukebox channel, type in some requests in the jukebox request, and the bot that powers it will allow you to listen to music either by yourself or with a group, however you want to do it. Whoever's in the channel, when the bot is playing music, you will hear the music. So really happy about that, getting that implemented. I thought that was a lot of fun. And I think the Discord will be fun. So head on over. You can get to the link by going to discord.deepbasepodcast.com and it'll take you directly into a, do you want to join the server? Excellent. All right. That's all I have for today. Cody, anything else from your end? No, man. I'm good. It's going to be exciting times. You know, we're going into a new year, new equipment for both of us, new Discord so that you guys can talk with us and reach us more directly. So, yeah, this is going to be an exciting start to the new year. Yep, I agree 100%. And as always, you can always follow us over on Twitter. That's where we are most active as well. So at Deep Base Podcasts on Twitter and chat with us about this episode, past episodes, whatever it may be. That's it, guys. We're going to wrap up our first episode of 2021. I said it right this time and I will try and get it right for the rest of them. But thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for all the support and hanging out with us. We really appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again for the next episode. Hope you enjoyed this one and we'll see you next time. Happy New Year. Talking about depression and anxiety can be tough, and we understand. But please know that if your mountain seems insurmountable, there are resources available to you. If you feel like giving up or that life is too heavy, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Please know that even though we may not know you or your story individually, we are in your corner and rooting for you every step of the way no matter how small those steps may be.